open in your Bible with me to the book of Psalm, Psalms verse 20, um, Psalm verse, chapter 20, I mean, and uh, we started a series last week called Victory, and last week I identified a, about six different enemies that we face, that we deal with. Some of them are things that uh, are attack us, and some of them are just really circumstances that we find ourselves in. And as I walk through that, I, I think it's really important to, to remember, although we might find ourselves facing a lot of different enemies in life, God has an override button. God has an override button. And, and God is able to overrule all those things that could come against you. And so many enemies, one God. And that's something to keep our, our focus on. We're going to continue on this today. I want to read out loud and loudly together from the screen, Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. Let's say this out loud. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. The title of this morning's message is The Victory Before the Victory. We're talking about victory gaining victory, having victory, but there is a victory that needs to take place before the victory, before we even get there, before you find yourself in battle, determining whether or not you will win. God wants us to be confident that we have victory before we even get there. The victory before the victory. I hear a lot, you know, I, I read the news and, and I, you know, sometimes I'll look at the Facebook posts and, and, and uh, listen to, you know, news going on and kind of track culture, society, where we're at, where, what uh, people are focused on. And there's a, a lot of focus, though it's not new, but it's, it seems to be extra hot right now on uh, some, some uh, issues and in, 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 in a hot topic of inequality. Inequality. Did you know, if you don't pay attention to the news and you live in a bubble, that inequality in our world exists? <laughs> Did you know that? It exists in equal opportunities in jobs, education. Sometimes people would say, yeah, every, everything's equal. Everyone has equal opportunity. Everyone. It's, it's not true. Healthcare, home loans, Social clubs, recreational opportunities. There's unequal opportunity in this world. That's a reality that we live in. If you're not careful, though, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will look at all of this inequality around, and that will become your ceiling, or that will become your limitation. And you will lump yourself right in there into the reality that other people are limited by and say, that's for me too. And so whether it's real or perceived, you'll be stuck right there. But I believe that God wants us to be convinced of something greater than that. Because although that stuff may exist, it doesn't have to exist for you. It's dangerous to get caught up in that conversation and that argument and to internalize it and fight it um, in it because it, it becomes a limiting factor. And then we'll start to attribute the success of others to what they have 
or our lack of success to what we don't have. And then ultimately we end up minimizing and forgetting, you have a God. You have God. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Horses and chariots are a tremendous advantage in battle. They're a tremendous advantage over foot soldiers. And so when the psalmist is writing this, he's not saying that it's not an advantage, it's not real, it's not exists, it's not that there's, some people have more than others and some people have an unfair advantage in battle. He's not saying that at all, that it doesn't exist. He's saying that stuff does exist and some people place their trust in it. Some people say, you know, oh, well, they've got horses. Well, of course they're going to beat us because we're just out here on feet. They've got chariots. Of course they have an advantage that I don't have. So we're limited by that. A horse and a chariot is an advantage in every way. I mean, you can move faster. You can carry uh, more supplies. You can regroup. You can split up. You can change strategy. You can carry heavier artillery and weaponry. I mean, just running someone over with a horse is an advantage, right? Like, come on, now it's you and a horse going head to head. That horse is going to win. It's an advantage. But yet, the Scripture is trying to tell us and convince us right here, that, that you're, not, you're not limited. Your opportunity for advancement and, and victory is not based on what the world you know, relies upon, the horse or the chariot. It says, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Jesus said this. He said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. They might prevail against everyone else. And other people might be limited and they might be stuck because of an unjust system. They might be stuck and limited because there really is you know, an advantage to generational wealth that they may not have. There is an advantage in, in, that some may have because of their gender. And we see that there's unequal pay. There's this gender gap, and it's still a reality, not for everybody. Some have broken through, but still on a whole, there, that exists. There's still inequality because of racism. It exists. And some opportunities come to some that don't come to others merely because of outward appearance. I think the color of somebody's skin is a, a terrible reason to not like someone. There's so many other reasons you can not like someone, right? Why don't you get to know them? Man, this inequality exists. It really does. Social inequality, academic inequality, it exists. And some people trust in that changing so that they can move forward. Or they say, until that changes, I can't move forward. If you are waiting on the government to fix all the laws and all the broken systems and for ev- all your neighbors and everybody in society and everybody in the media to, to f- change their hearts so that you can advance, you're in a very long line. Yep. You're going to be waiting a long time. Now, I'm not saying that those things shouldn't change. They need to change. But you can't wait for them to change, and you can't be limited by the lack of them changing. That's 
You can't say, because of all that stuff out here, I can't move forward and be who God's called me to be and walk in the promises of God and have what he said I can have and and do that. You can't be limited by that. Instead of trusting in horses and chariots, we will remember the name of the Lord our God. This even happens in churches, by the way. It's not just out in the world like, well, of course, you know, of course he got that job. Look who his dad is. Of course they got that opportunity. Look look at their college experience. Of course he got to go to that college. Look at the, the, the high school. Look at the neighborhood they came from. Of course he got that job. He's a guy. Of course, she got that, you know, position on, on, on the team. Look at her. She's perfect. She just has everything. Boy, we can fall right into that conversation. Churches do this sometimes. Oh, of course, that church is going to succeed. They started with 200,000 in the bank and a team of 50 people just to get started on the first day. You know, they had 500 people. Of course, if you have the Lord and you are convinced that God is enough, then nothing can stop you. You Listen, if you're not successful with the Lord, it tells me one of two things. Either A, you're just at the beginning stages and you need to develop and grow. Or B, you really do stink at that and you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> like, quit that stuff. Because if you can't succeed with God, then do something else that, because you're a 10 somewhere. <laughs> you're a 10 somewhere. You might be trying to do something, and you're like, man, I'm like a one here. <laughs> yeah, you're never going to be more than a one there because God hasn't called you to do that. But you're a 10 somewhere, and if you go with God and you're convinced that God's with you, man, nothing can stop you. Okay, so, so that word remember right there, it's, a, it, it's different than trust because it says we, some trust in this, some others trust in that, but we remember. That word remember, it, it, it means to remember. It means to boast in. It means to uh, call to remembrance and to make mention. So while others are putting their trust here, I'm going to think about and make mention. I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about the name of the Lord our God. You know what that is? That's covenant talk. That's covenant. Covenant is this promise that God has made that he swore in blood. Jesus on the cross, for example, he wasn't simply dying to die, but God was making a covenant. He was swearing promises. He'll never break those promises in blood. That's like covenant. You know, we don't talk too much about covenant outside of the church world today. But it's covenant talk. We will remember, instead of looking at all these other things, what others have or what I don't have, how others are treated and how I'm not treated, uh, I'm going to look to what God says and who He is. This is some things you find like in Deuteronomy. They remind, they remember this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, this is what God said uh, about His people. It says, the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body and the increase of your livestock and in the produce of your ground in the land of which the Lord swore your fathers to give you. Plenty of goods. God's saying, I'm the one who's going to provide for you. I know the economy may not uh, be all that strong. The economic outlook may not be all that positive for the world, but for you, it's strong. Because he doesn't say, I'm going to take care of you. He says, I'm going to give you plenty of goods. Plenty to me means more than enough, right? Hey, we got plenty. You're going to have some people over for dinner? Do you guys have enough to eat? Yeah, we got plenty. Come on over. 
This is what, what, what God said. I'm going to grant you plenty of good. In, in, the increase of your, in the fruit of your body, your livestock, and so forth, God is saying, I'll do this for you. You need to remember that and make mention of that. When others are struggling, you declare what God says. Verse 12, the Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens. Where's God's good treasure? The heavens. What does that mean? God say, he, said, he said, to give rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. This is something God is saying, only I can make it rain, and God can make it rain. Amen? It's like, I can make it rain. No, God, God can make it rain, and only He can do it, because other, anybody can, can plow, anybody can plant, anybody can like, you know, try to bring some shade, you can water it, but you can't make it rain. And God is saying, I, have, I can do something no one else can do, and I will do something that no one else can make happen. I will do this for you. I'm telling you, it may be dry all the way around and in and, and a famine, a dust bowl, but not on your house, not in your property. God said, I'll open up the heavens. You know, Eeyore didn't always have it bad when he had the little rain cloud above him. Maybe that, you think of it the other way. That's going to be a blessing, right? When others are being scorched, it's raining right there. You just need to get his attitude right. God said, I'll bless all the work of your hand. Others might have been given opportunity because daddy owned the company, because mom and dad were able to pull some strings, because they went there and, and they had met, went to this school and met those people, and they were right there at the right time. But yet the Bible says, to you though, to you, God will bless all the work of your hands, Regardless, hey, if, if you have a horse and chariot, praise the Lord, right? Like we are going to run some enemies over right now. But even if we don't, we're not going to back off and say, oh, it's, ho it's, it's hopeless for us. Not at all. God goes on to say, and this is the things we have to remind ourselves and bring to, to, to mention, call to remembrance. You he said this, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Man, can you see yourself? getting to the point where, where you're not the one who's asking for a loan, but others are asking you. Peter Daniels uh, was this guy who came and spoke to our, our church years ago, and, and he had some wisdom from the Lord on investment and investments, and they sold everything and invested in a certain area, and, and millions and millions and millions of dollars they made. And all of a sudden, he gets a phone call from a banker, and the banker said, hey, can I meet with you? And Peter said, Sure, come on over to my place. So, so the banker, now how often does a banker come to your place, right? And say, hey, can I talk to you? And then usually you go to theirs, right? So you're asking for them. But the banker said, okay. And so the banker said to him, he said, hey, we, we know you're doing well. Your business is thriving. We want to present some opportunity for you to, to make some investments here with us. And so Peter, Daniel said, oh, you mean you want a loan? No, 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 we want you to make investments and, and so you can earn interest. He said, oh, you want a loan? No, 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 it's an investment. He said, wait a minute, why is it that when I want money from you and you earn interest off of me, it's a loan, right? We got to see ourselves in light of the Scripture that God can turn things around and you can get to the place where you have something to loan. Verse 13, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. 
Don't get caught up in how the tale speaks, everyone who's limited by the system. The system is real, but it's not your limitation. There is systemic injustice. It's broken. That's true. It may be better here than other places, maybe better than it used to be, and it's not quite uh, as good as it, it could be. And hopefully there's going to be some improvement and change, but you're not limited by that. He said this, if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. King David, before he was king, he was just a boy. And we know the story of David. He's the guy who, as a kid, went up against Goliath the giant. And so the basic idea is he went with his sling, not slingshot, but his sling and his stone, and he, he, he flung that thing at the giant, killed him. The giant was out there taunting the children of Israel every day. He was taunting them. He was saying all kinds of stuff. But you know the last thing to go through his mind before he died? A rock. That's right. You're like, man, a rock. I don't But here, I don't want to focus so much on the actions of David. I want to focus on some of the conversation that took place. It says in 1 Samuel 17, uh, talking about how, what David remembered what he called to mention, he brought to remembrance. It says, now when the words which David uh, spoke were heard, which means this, I'll, I'll take on the giant. Well, part of the reason why David said, I'll take on the giant, is he found out whoever defeats the giant, he gets tax freedom, no more taxes, and he gets to marry the, the king's daughter. And he's like, she's pretty good looking. I'll, I'll do it. So it goes on to say, so they reported him to Saul, and he sent for him. In verse 32, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now, David, you know, he's a boy. He's probably a teenager. And, and Goliath, right? David Goliath, right? That's the picture we get. And, and here are the conversation, though. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. The going thought of the day was, David, you don't have what it takes. You don't have the experience. You don't have the age. You don't have the size. You don't have the strength. Uh, you haven't been around long enough. You don't have an advantage here. You are disadvantaged. And look at Goliath. He's strong. He's a man. He's a man of war. And he's been doing this for a long time. And, and the Bible had described him as having you know, great uh, armor and weaponry as well. He had everything in his advantage. David had everything against him. The cards were stacked against him. Have you ever felt the cards were stacked against you? Are there people who are complaining about the cards being stacked against them? David had the cards stacked against him, and it was true. It was real. But the conversation and became the limitation for these people. And they said, you're not able to go against this Philistine. You're a youth. He's a man of war. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and, and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and I struck it. And I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. And I love how David is saying this with such zeal, but I, at first you might kind of wonder, like I bet they wondered, like this is one of those exaggerations that kids tell. No, I swear I caught a fish this big. 
like this big, but it was like this big, you know, it's kind of like he's exaggerating because it's a tremendous feat what he did. And I think about that, and I think of David, he's a kid, and he's out there keeping the sheep, and, and if I was in that situation, and a lion comes out and snatches one of the sheep, I'd go home and say, Dad, we have one less sheep. <laughs> right? Sorry, Dad. A lion came. What am I supposed to do? But David said, no, no, no. I, 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 that was my assignment, my job. Those are my sheep. Give it back. And he went after him, and he struck it to try to, you know, chase it off. And then if it turned around, he said, and I grabbed it by the beard. And I imagine David as a boy, I don't know if he'd hit puberty yet at this point, but he probably still had a raspy little man's boy's voice. He's like, and I grabbed it by the beard, you know, (laughs) and I struck it and I killed it. Like, you know, like a veteran, but he's yet kid, you know, like like this contrast. And you think Saul's like, uh, so he said, I struck it and I killed it. But listen to his conversation where he goes on to say, your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Uncircumcised, David, you're getting a little personal right here. And you think, well, of course, he's young, you know, everything gravitates towards junior high humor, and and he brings out these derogatory terms. That's not what David is saying. He's not making fun of the dude. He's recognizing something. That word circum- the, the circumcision means something. It means that you have a covenant with God. And this was the sign of that covenant for the children of Israel. And, and David is saying, this guy doesn't have any promises from God. And we do. And so he's, his conversation is, yeah, I know he's big. I know he's strong. I know he has every advantage over me, but he doesn't have a covenant with God, and we do. And so his conversation blew past all that, and in all of us here, our conversation needs to blow past whatever restrictions or limitations the world says we have. That's not us. We have a covenant with God. He says, this uncircumcised Philistine, he'll be like one of those lions and bears, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. See, David was convinced. He said, lion, bear, giant, doesn't matter. God's on my side. My enemies will come against me one way. God will cause them to flee seven ways. He call, that's what the scripture says. That's what the scripture says. And David remembered that. No evil will befall me all the days of my life, right? God, if God is for me, who can be against me? Lion, bear, Zika virus, whatever it is, cancer, poverty, racism, gender equality, inequality, whatever it is. It might be real for others, but it's not real for me. That's not my limiting factor. He said, he said this, God will del- deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So David said to Saul, go, and the Lord be with you. Notice that conversation, though. You don't have enough. Goliath has an advantage. It's unfair. But David's conversation was, he has no promise of success. We do. The Lord has delivered me. The Lord will deliver me. That's how it's going to be for you. That's how it's going to be for you. That's a different gospel than what you might hear some other places where they say, oh, you know, the great pie in the sky, it'll get better then, but right now, it's going to be really bad for all of us. That's not good news. 
Good news is what God said, and we need, we, we need to get back and call to remembrance that. Go back to the first love. Go back to, to the God who saved you and who can do anything. I remember when I was young, I, I, I had a, uh, I'm still young, by the way. <laughs> when I was a lot younger, less than half of my age now, I just got saved. I had a, a shirt that said, Jesus saves on it. In fact, I had a shirt that said, Jesus saves for every day of the week. I wore one. I was young and zealous, and I remember I was witnessing to someone at the gym in the locker room. I, yes, I used to go to the gym, and uh, I, I was talking to this older guy, and he said, he asked me how old I was. I was probably 19 at the time, at the oldest, and um, he said, you'll learn. Life will show, show you. It's not like everything you see. You're, you're excited now. You're excited now. There's something about being young and believing you can take on the world. And for some reason, we too often lose that. And this is why so many revolutions happen through the hands of young people, because they really are idealistic. We may not be young, but we can go back to that young, vibrant faith that we believe God is who He said He is and will do what He said He'll do, and that we have victory already. Before David went out and lopped the head off the giant, he already knew, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. All y'all, come on out against me. I'll take the giant out, and once I chop off his head, we're going to feed all you guys to the birds. So, you know, here's this teenager who starts talking smack, but he's confident. Not because he's arrogant, but because God said, and I'm just agreeing with him, when we can get our words to line up, when we remember the name of the Lord our God is great. There's no name greater than the name of Jesus. And whatever battle you're facing, whether it's external or internal, the name of the Lord is great, and your victory is in Him. God always favors His people regardless of their status. You know that? Some people say, well, Goliath had an unfair advantage. No, David had an unfair advantage. God is not fair. Some people say, why isn't God fair? Oh, you don't want God to be fair. It was unfair of God to take all of your sin and place it on Jesus on the cross. That was very unfair. Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, to suffer for us. We got the good end of the stick, I'm telling you right now. We got the good end of the deal with that. It was unfair of God to do it, but it was in our favor. God doesn't treat everybody fairly. He favors his people. He favors his people. Even the children of Israel, when they were in bondage to the Egyptians, uh, at first they went in with a favored status, but then it got to the point where, man, all of a sudden, we don't like how well they're doing, so we need to oppress them. And, And it got to the point where the Egyptians brought them into slavery. And God said, hey, those are my people that you're doing that to. And yes, they. the reality was they were in slavery. They were oppressed. That was a reality, and it was wrong, and it was unjust, but they were not limited by that when they started to call on the name of the Lord. And when they did that, God said, Moses, go tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. <laughs> and God said, do it. And Pharaoh said, no. God said, okay, well, then I'm going to start unleashing these plagues, these judgments on you on behalf of my people. And so God would unleash a judgment, and Pharaoh would 
say, no. And then he did another one. Pharaoh's like, okay, maybe. And then when they were about to go, Pharaoh said, no. And God said, here's another judgment. God is, is, is working on Pharaoh to get him to the point where he releases him. But before he does completely release him, it says this in Exodus chapter 8, verse 22 and 23. It says, in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen. Goshen was the area of Egypt where the children of Israel lived. They were segregated to this one section. They were limited to that area. God's people were oppressed. And God said, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies, which was one of the judgments on the land, no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. No, no judgment's going to come on them there so that you might know something, that I am the Lord here. I'm the one in charge. Verse 23, I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow the sign shall be. God wants to make a difference between you and those who are outside the covenant of God. Here's, here's something crazy, though. Everyone is invited and welcomed into the covenant. They're all, but they don't all come. The invitation has gone out to everybody, but some will still resist. And because of that, God says, I am going to make a difference between my people and your people. God says, I will make a difference. And, and though, though uh, everyone else is subject to the times and the economy and, and, and the brokenness of this world, not you, not you. And if you're living in the midst of that, God said, I am going to uh, make a difference between you. I'll pull you out of that when you begin to call out on the Lord. That's what they did. And God said that they may know that I am the Lord. You're not a victim of your circumstances. You're not a victim. You're not left. And even if you were victimized by them, that's not how God sees you. And that's not how he'll leave you. You can get healed, restored, and come up and over, and while others are still stuck and saying, oh, it's because of this or because of that, hey, you guys can use your excuses and wait for a chariot or horse to get you out of here, but I'm trusting in the name of the Lord my God. Everyone else is stuck in traffic. I'm jumping right over to that shoulder, and I'm going to zip past them all, right? We're going to get to this destination faster. I'm not limited by all these things that other people are depending on. 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says, For whatever is born of, uh, of God overcomes the world. I'm born of God. Are you born of God? Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. You see, there are some people who are even born of God, though, who aren't walking in faith. And you haven't been convinced that God is for you yet. And that you can walk in victory. And you don't have the victory yet on the inside. And so you're stuck with everybody else. That's why you're here today, because God's saying, don't, don't be stuck. I want to get you unstuck. I want you to see who I am and what I will do in your life so that you're not limited anymore. Verse 5, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's who overcomes the world. You're not going to overcome by waiting for this new election season and for the Supreme Court or for, you know, the governor or somebody to, just to make things right, that one is going to get better for you? 
<laughs> Ask the people who've been waiting around for 200 years. That's not what. That's not going to get you there. We want to affect change in those areas, but that's not where our trust is. It's right. not where our hope is. Right. Our hope is in the Lord. Romans 8.31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Last uh, two verses I want to share with you. What do we need to do? What do we need to do? In Joshua chapter 1, God is telling Joshua, who, who came right after, Moses, uh, right after Moses' time, he said, Joshua, I want you to lead the people into the promised land, this land that I've promised them. I want you to lead them. And so he says this in, in verse 6 of chapter 1. He says, be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. God said, I have made these promises, and I've sworn that I'm going to do it uh, for them, but you need to be strong and courageous. Well, God, why do I need to be strong and courageous? Because you're going to lead them there. And though this is for them and it's already available, there's others who don't want it to happen. And some of them question in their own mind as well whether it's for them. And so strength, why do you need strength? You, you know, you think about lifting a heavy object or moving a heavy object. Well, you need to have strength to move a heavy object because whenever you apply force to something, there's an equal and, and, and opposite of force. I may be saying it wrong, but nevertheless, it's opposing, Right? It's an opposing force. So the only way to move that is to apply more strength or force to it. And so God is telling Joshua, there's going to be opposition against you inheriting the promises of God. There's opposition against us from inheriting or walking in the promises of God. And God says, you need to be strong because you're going to have to push harder. You're going to have to push harder. They belong to you, but don't think that you can be weak and get them. Weak people don't inherit them. Second thing is, he said, you need to be courageous. Why courageous, God? Because you're going to question in your own mind. Other people are going to question you. They're going to tell you you can't do it. The circumstances are going to look like it's not going to happen. And so on the inside, you've got to be courageous, and you have to be willing to risk it all, to receive what I have. And not only that, but you're going to lead other people into it. And so you've got to be strong and courageous. Well, how does... Joshua get to that point. Verse 8, God said, this, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it. Only twice, though. When? Day and night. Just two times. Just day and night, right? Meditate in it day and night that you may do, do all that is written in it. Is that what it says? No, no, no. It says that you may observe to do according to all that is written into it. Let me break that down real quick. Observe, that means to see. So when we talk meditation as Christians, we don't mean like, oh, you know, like meditation. Meditation is this. I take the word and I begin to read it and I read it out loud and I speak it and I kind of chew on it and then I observe something. I observe, I see, observe is see, I see myself doing I see myself doing what the Word says I can do or what I'm, I'm reading there. I see myself doing it, but not just doing all that is written in it, but according to all that is written in it. Because here's the deal. I'm not going to lead Jewish people over to Israel and divide up the land and say, 
this is your spot, this is your spot. I'm not going to do all that is written in it, but I am leading God's people into His promises and saying, hey, this belongs to you, and this belongs to you. So when I'm meditating on the Word, I'm saying, okay, Joshua, be strong and and of good courage, because you'll cause this people to inherit the, the, the land that I've sworn to their fathers. All right, Daniel, you need to be strong and courageous because you're going to cause the people of the rock and, the, and, and, and those who God brings here to, to inherit the promises of God for them. So I can see myself doing according to what is written in here. Just right in alignment. Joshua had his assignment, I have mine, and you have yours. And so you start to look at the Word and you see what Joshua did or even what Jesus did, and you, 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 you put yourself in that place and you say, in, in alignment with that, Jesus was feeding others, I'll feed others. Jesus was caring for others, I'll care for, I'll care for others. Jesus was investing in others, I'll invest in others. Jesus was provided for by the Father when it seemed like he had nothing in his hands, I'll be provided for by the Father when there's nothing in my hands. I see myself doing according to all that is written in it. That is for you, and that's where you get the victory before the victory. That's where you start to recognize, I don't need a horse or a chariot. I've got the name of the Lord. I call, I'll remember what he said. I'll call that to mind right there. That right there is, is the stand I'll take. That right there, it's not my limit, limiting factor, like, but that right there is, is what propels me forward what God says, past all this other stuff that people would try to cause me to be restricted by. We have a God. Don't get caught up in the conversation that says you can't or you won't or they won't let you or they can, but it's not for you. Listen, you can have anything that God says you can have. You can do anything he says you can do. You can be whoever he calls you to be. Just simply trust in the Lord. Do what he says to do. No man can stand before you all the days of your life. This is what God said to Joshua. It's what he says to you. You are not limited by anything else other than the degree to which you will believe God. 